Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. And I am Ben. You are you, of course, we hope. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. That was a theremin effect. That was great. Wow, the warble. It's real. Yeah. Noel, you've got some pipes on you. Hey, thanks, you, buddy. you as well, Matt. You guys both have fantastic singing voices. Uh, so I... <laughs> I don't. I'm just going to be clear. No one asked me to sing ever. Uh, so we're recording today's episode in April of 2016. What are we talking about? What, what could we possibly be talking about for anyone who doesn't look at the title of an episode? <laughs> well, we're going to talk about the process that, that we all go through to select the people that we want to eventually vote for during the presidential election. Although it's not as simple as that. It didn't sound very no, simple. No, the way, the way you <laughs> said it already sounded Dude, like a I got mess. Well, yeah. I, I have gotten so deep in researching this stuff into Robert's, uh, what is it, the Robert's Rules of Order. Mm. Have you guys heard of this? Mm -hmm. I, I had never heard of this before. It's the, the... It's the manner in which these people interact with one another. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. The the way if you're at a congressional hearing or something, the way Congress or a parliament, mm-hmm. the way yeah, so, the, some some absurdly detailed version of like parliamentary procedure. Will, will the gentleman yield the remainder of his time? The gentleman from <laughs> Kentucky. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Shall speak. But uh, it is so complex. Everything I from guess, yeah. deciding where people sit and uh, oh my god, I love how uh, snarky it becomes. You know, like. With all due respect to my esteemed colleague from New Hampshire, (laughs) thumbs go up butts. (laughs) It happens. I will not yield my time. I mean, that's, you know, that's obviously a fake example, I hope, and no offense to New Hampshire. Uh, what, what we're talking about today will be the thing known as the primary election for uh, those of you listening, uh, outside of the U.S. and Canada probably as well. Uh, you probably have some great questions, like why is the U.S. election season so long? Why does mm-hmm. it seem so crooked? Why is there essentially a series of like rehearsal elections in in front of the general election? And this is something, listeners, that you would talk to us about. And Matt, as you alluded to earlier, this is an idea that you brought uh, you brought to the table, and you know a lot of the a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about. Today, I'm glad we're not using parliamentary procedure or rules of yeah. order because it would be very difficult to do that. That would be the strangest, maybe worst, maybe best podcast ever if it was just parliamentary. We do try to stick to the rules of engagement, though, mm-hmm. sure. whenever possible. Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah sure. The Geneva Convention governs this mm-hmm. all podcast. The, yeah, all this room. We follow the rule of law, including the laws of war. Uh, we have to wear uniforms that clearly identify us as such. And we agreed after that incident in 2013, no more running around with, uh, with a Red Cross shirt on unless you actually do work for the Red Cross. That's right. And I did, I don't know if you guys noticed, but I got my big media, uh, it's not a cap. It's like a mm-hmm. helmet. Mm-hmm. It says media on it in several languages. Is it made of tinfoil? It is. <laughs> I hope not. I hope it's a little more sturdy than that. Well, luckily, uh, most of the wars here at How Stuff Works involve Nerf guns. Fair. <laughs> okay. So, Just getting back really fast, Ben, yes. you were saying that I brought this to the table. I, I have to admit, I maybe brought this to the table because Noel and I were talking about mm. some of the things we were reading in the news and mm. we were trying to wrap our heads around the primaries and all the things that were going on now in the mm-hmm. current election. And we wanted to see if maybe there's some context we can get by looking back. Right on. Yeah, because this is th- that's an excellent point, Matt, because this is not just about the current primary election or should I say season running at the time of this recording, this is about the nature of that system in the U.S., where it came from, where it's going, pros and cons, and, of course, conspiracies. So first things first, uh, U.S. listeners, bear with us if this this stuff you've heard before. We're going to explain the, the basics of voting. So segments of the U.S. population, Matt. Noel, me, perhaps you as well, in units of qualified voters elect numerous local, state, and federal positions. And this happens all the time. This happens at various times uh, throughout the year and the decade. But the one election that always gets the most attention is the big one, the top dog seat. President of the United States. Now, at, at this point, some listeners may say, well, why can't you vote for the leaders of banks? 
That's a good question because they have a profound influence on public policy, but they are private organizations. And that's something we will find uh – We'll, we'll address that later again in yeah. this podcast. Yeah, yeah, but stick with, yeah. They're certainly elected in their own strange closed door kind of ways. That's but true. They're not going to ask you about it. Right. Yeah. They, they never reply to our Snapchats, uh, or our tweets. We're conspiracy stuff, by the way, if you're interested. <laughs> right. I try to work these plugs in, in a different way. As a consequence, the process behind the presidential election is a little bit different in comparison to the others. And many groups or institutions or individuals uh, spend a great deal of time attempting to influence these elections. And one one way to illustrate just how important this is for many U.S. citizens, unfortunately, the quadrennial presidential election is the only time they will actually vote, not for the senators not for the state house or, uh, you know, the local commissioner or something, mm-hmm. just for the president of the U.S. And it's not even that large of, of a percentage of U.S. voters that actually vote for mm-hmm. the president. So most people, the vast majority of individual voters will cast a ballot for one uh, of two major parties' candidates. Uh, these candidates are each chosen by a group of organizations collectively known, we refer to them as parties. Which, you know, wasn't meant to be ironic, but it feels that way sometimes. The two big parties that we're talking about are the Democrats and the Republicans. They're the most popular parties, each of which has an estimated one-third-ish of the nation's voters on its team. The other rough one-third-ish is composed of people uh, who register as independents, but that number, that ratio fluctuates, especially around election season. And it's interesting, uh, just as an example we've seen this year, when you are registered as an independent, that can that can be a big factor on whether or not you get to vote in these primary elections, right. depending on which state you live in. And as collective organizations, these entities, these parties are private. Yes, we cannot... Uh, I can't say that strongly enough. That's one huge takeaway that you need to remember uh, when we speak about all of this. These are private institutions. You need a password to get in, like Fidelio or something. <laughs> it is literally a private yeah. party. Yeah. Uh, so these parties choose these candidates. They 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 make the choice for the uh. They make the choice for the general public in the in the big election, the actual not a dress rehearsal real election. Mm-hmm. How do these candidates get chosen? So the first thing they do, they stand up at some point after already getting some money from mm-hmm. donors or, you know, going around and talking to people without officially saying it. They say, I will be running for president or seeking the nomination of my party, at least. Mm-hmm. Like, no, you would announce your candidacy to donors, I guess, and other other people who could influence your mm-hmm. campaign. Sure. And then the, then I would light a sage and uh, draw a circle on the ground, <laughs> turn around three times. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, I, I guess you, you do that in the green room of The Tonight Show or whatever you're on to go say, hey, I'm running for president. Mm-hmm. So when the U.S. holds these primary elections and caucuses, we can think of these, you know, I'm joking when I say they are rehearsal elections, although I understand why I could look that way. These are smaller party-specific general campaigns, wherein, again, qualified voters vote for one of their party's potential candidates. Now, I've used that phrase, qualified voter, twice. So let's look at what that means. 
a qualified voter is over 18, mm-hmm. right, or in military service perhaps, and is not a felon in some states, mm-hmm. right, and in other states, uh, it goes state by state. A qualified voter also resides in the in an eligible area, yes. right? So no matter how strongly Matt and Noel and I feel about the uh, city commissioner of Las Cruces, New Mexico. I don't know if that's a position, but no, <laughs> you're looking at me very serious. I don't mean to make light. Of- no, no, no. I, I see what you're saying. I mean, you know, we could really have strong feelings about this position, but because we are not residents of that particular county, we do not reside there. Right. We are not registered there. We can't vote. We are disqualified. Mm-hmm. They'll, we'll get something like, thank you for your letter, three strange people from Atlanta. Uh, thank you for your interest in our town. But we got this. We have this handled by people who live here, which is a fair thing. So numerous things can qualify or disqualify you as a voter. And this is where you get into whether or not you're registered as a Democrat, a Republican, or an Independent. And I can't wait to get into some of that a little later. Okay. Yes, yeah. Right. So after this primary system, as these prospective candidates have vied against one another state by state, to win over their uh, registered Democrats or the registered Republicans, uh, then at that convention, the party will formally announce their candidate for the general election. So they would say, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know, I congratulations to Noel Brown. Maybe it's like Price is Right. Maybe they open an envelope and say, Noel Brown, come on down. It means the world to me to have your support, Ben. Uh, hey, you know what? I'm just glad to have... Uh, a candidate I can believe in who understands the issues. I'll try not to let you down. Especially the sandwich-related issues. So uh, these people, these candidates, the Democrat winner and the Republican winner and a uh, smattering of independents often relegated to the sidelines will debate and campaign against one another in much the same way that they did against their prospective opponents in the primaries. This sounds pretty straightforward if Overly inconvenient. So let's make it more complicated. So as you said, Ben, this is crazy inconvenient, but it is also necessary, at least currently. So so before all these crazy proceedings became the norm, uh, it was a, it was a bit of a hectic place or a, a hectic uh, procedure trying to decide who's going to run for president. Uh, the, the real election power was held within a very select few people who, you know, were the movers and shakers of states. Right. It was held in the hands of a privileged few, such as, uh, captains of industry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, even though this is in theory a meritocracy, uh, you know, the senator's dad, right? Sure. People were elected based on their family. How crazy is that? Just going to leave that one there. I know I bring it up every time we do a political podcast, but come on. All right. So, yeah, you're right, Matt. You're right. Uh, the average voter had a choice in the general election, but little, if any, say in who the party's candidate would be. So it's necessary. The practice of primaries emerged as a result of the progressive era. And secondly, it is more complicated. It is inconvenient and more complicated than what we've said before. We haven't even gotten to uh, the, the strange or conspiratorial part yet. What is a primary? Can I curse on this show? What the f- is a primary? You just did? And yes. Well, for these 
parties, quotation fingers, mm-hmm. the average voter turnout in each state is particularly important, not because it's a direct election, but because the votes actually determine the actions of the delegates, uh, appointed state-level party officials who vote basically on behalf, let's say, of the voters okay. in theory. Uh-huh. Another quotation fingers, mm-hmm. big mm-hmm. ones, according to the rules of their state and party. Okay, and that's another tricky part because the states have widely varying rules. In yep. some primaries, it's a winner-take-all thing. And if you get a majority, like if Noel Brown wins in one state and gets a majority, then he gets all of the delegates. In other places, it's proportional. And primaries have different voting structures and requirements, such as open, closed, semi-open, etc. Once the number of delegates are added up, then boom. We have a winner. Uh, critics believe this system, originally constructed to combat corruption, has lost its way, has become a tool of the same corrupt and oligarchical tendencies it was initially meant to prevent. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of going to make a joke earlier where you said, well, back in the day, it used to be captains of industry that would pick, you know, the <laughs> candidate. Right. I'm like, how is it now? <laughs> well, yes, exactly. <laughs> well, it's just a lot more red tape they have to cut through, and it has to be done in a much more secretive and underhanded way. And I'm not trying to, you know... Proselytize. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, we know, we know that elections can be influenced and, uh, you know, yeah. maybe not directly, but they're, you know, especially now when we've got Citizens United decision with all these super PACs and mm-hmm. all of this, you know, money just flying around right. really nilly. I mean, there's definitely, you know, the power of the purse kind of thing going sure. on. Sure. And this, this is just a tangent, but this also, of course, holds for, uh, foreign Elections, the U, the U.S. and some corporate interests are big fans of going into a country and having, you know, a group of student protesters who are united against, uh, communism or something. And then, of course, becoming a, becoming a coup or influencing the election. But that's a story for another day. We've, we've explained primaries, right? We're on, we're on base with that. We're all on the same page. I think so. There's some minutiae we need to get into. But before we move on, could we go through a few of the different uh, categories of primaries? I think, um, I know that, that uh, up until recently I've been pretty confused about what they all mean. I think it might be helpful for some folks that we do. Hmm. Sure. Uh, Well, here's what I know. Uh, a closed primary means that if you are going to vote, in this election, you have to be a party member of one of the parties to vote for that ballot or so, to cast that ballot. Yeah, so only a registered Republican could vote in the Republican primary and only a registered Democrat for the Democrat primary. Exactly. And then you've got when you have an open, let's say uh, let's say I'm a registered Republican, but I want to go in and vote for the Democrat for a Democratic candidate that I let's say that I want to beat the other one or something, you know, something like that. Maybe you've just had a change of heart. Oh, yeah, sure. I, I go I can go in and I can vote for the Democratic uh, Party, mm-hmm. which is which is kind of interesting. It makes the game a little more complicated, which is kind of fun when you're when you're trying to figure out what the numbers might be, I guess, when you're Nate Silver trying to make these numbers happen. Mm hmm. Yeah. Nate Silver, the uh, mathematical mastermind behind 513. Right. So the, you know, you hit on a strategy that is common where, or in theory, it could happen very easily, wherein someone says, uh, for instance, I hate to do it guys, but I'll take a current example. Someone says, for instance, that, uh, oh, I am a Democrat 
in I am a Democrat and I and my Democrat friends think that Donald Trump has no chance of actually winning or Ted Cruz has no chance of actually winning. So we're going to vote as Republicans mm-hmm. uh, in order to give the candidate that we like, whether that would be like Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders or whichever, uh, give that candidate uh, an easy fight in the actual general election, making them much more likely to be the president. And that can happen in open primaries, the other type. In most cases, in open primary, the voter has to choose a party to vote for by making a public statement at the polling station, which means, yeah. you, you know, you tell the election volunteer which party you want to vote for, and then you get a, a ballot containing candidates for that party. It's, uh, it's a know. weird thing, too, that mm-hmm. that open public statement that you make that is a, a part of the official rules during one of those, because it's literally you sitting across the table from someone and they just say, uh, are you voting Democrat or Republican? And it's just weird that it feels so informal, I guess, as the end user of some of these rules. Mm-hmm. But in reality, you're going through these processes step by step, and they're highly important. So these are kind of interesting. Then you have a semi-closed primary, Mm -hmm. which um, allows registered party members to vote only in their own party's primary, but unaffiliated voters are also allowed to vote. Ah, yeah, the independents. Exactly. Right. And then you have a semi-open, where a registered voter uh, doesn't have to declare which political party, which political primary, rather, they want to vote in before going into the voting booth. Right. You can just wing it. That's crazy. Just walk in. Like it's a new restaurant and you're looking at the menu for the first time. Just point at one. So none of this stuff is conspiratorial. And this is just right now, this is just a a one-on-one explanation of how this system in theory works. But of course, ladies and gentlemen, you know what sort of show this is. Here's where it gets crazy. Every election season... There are factions from each party um, that allege some kind of corruption, vote mishandling, tampering, even conspiracy regarding different actions, tiny little minutiae of campaign procedures. So with the rise of uh, global national communication, the Internet, et cetera, this has just ballooned mm-hmm. dramatically and you can't get away from it. Which is weird. It is weird, but this particular cycle we're in right now has been a doozy. Yes. Yeah. And we have to talk about a little bit of that as well. And what's strange is there's an inverse relationship here because people alleging cover-ups, corruption, or conspiracies, that number is skyrocketing now that it's cheaper than ever to transmit information. But at the same time, voting numbers are plummeting. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's because when we complain about something online or via social media, uh, often when people do this, they feel like they're making a difference without actually doing something, enacting some sort of change. Other, of course, than reinforcing a uh, a smug kind of self-righteous commitment to their own pre-existing beliefs by hopping on these ephemeral hype trains or these online pitchfork mobs that vanish soon after the event. And there's a physiological reason, a neurological reason behind some of this reading. You know, like you read something online and it confirms something that you already believed, then you want to go and tell other people about it. You want to just sort of be 
a medium of transmission for an idea and then therefore be associated with that idea. That's why you see all those crazy Facebook posts that are, you know, maybe true, maybe not. And, but, but sure feels, uh, validating for yes. people to share them. And there's this thing that happens when we talk about projects or things that we are going to do in the future which maybe uh, for the artists in our crowd, you have experienced yourself. When we have a memory, it's like we're experiencing a thing again. When when uh, we're talking about artistic endeavors, for instance, let's say the three of us were working on a song, or let's say the three of us were working on a book or a gigantic, I don't know, mural of tangerines and seashells. I don't know. Sure. Or a podcast. Or a podcast, yeah. (laughs) It's so much easier to talk about a thing. And when, when we talk to other people about a thing that we're doing or that we're going to do, we feel physiologically the reward center kicks in as we feel as though we have already done it. And that's part of the reason why it's so easy to say, like, oh, man, uh, this politician is destroying or saving America and be aware or stay woke or whatever because it's happening. And then, you know, it's contagious because other people see it and they go, you know what? Upvote. You know what? Like, I made a difference. However, there's a question here when we talk about these conspiracy theories and this online phenomenon are these even if they're echo chambers are they just the stories of uh, of sore losers the jeremiads of sync offense or are they valid points because honestly uh to your earlier statement Noel, <laughs> to the gentleman from augusta's earlier mm-hmm. statement i i believe that a lot of this stuff is valid actually and i i, I mean that's a personal bias that i have but I, I wanted to be clear about that. The truth may be somewhere in between. Do you got? Do you want to make it more complicated? Yeah. No. <laughs> oh, okay. But I have a feeling that it, it doesn't need our help. <laughs> well, okay. So there are several. There are several big issues that have been coming up with this current election cycle. Talking about this stuff just makes me tired. Yeah, I start, know. You just start to glaze over after a while because it's ah. just so like prohibitively convoluted please continue yes, yes. <laughs> great well i think you know maybe that's the point noel maybe maybe it's to make you sleepy and be like, oh super delicate uh, it's yeah. like that scene in the wizard of oz with the poppy fields you know yeah, yeah. oh wait wait what uh did you say super delegates matt yeah man what are super delegates all delegates are not created equally i'm here to tell you that right now uh so okay let's go over exactly what a delegate is because we we kind of uh, we hit it earlier, but let's just say what it is. A delegate mm-hmm. is an elected official. Uh, they're elected through uh, state, sometimes state elections, sometimes more local elections, sometimes they're appointed. Uh, it, again, all of this stuff is going to vary a bit state by state. Mm-hmm. These are the people who are going to end up going to the convention after the primary elections and caucuses have occurred, and they are the ones who actually cast the vote to uh, nominate someone for a party. It's hmm. not the it's not the primary electorate, the you and me, you know, standing here and voting at a booth. It's hmm. these guys who, who stand up and hold up sometimes they will hold up a flag or mm-hmm. a little thing. Mm-hmm. Um they're the ones who cast the vote. So there are these other things called super delegates. Now, these were introduced or created rather 
by the Democratic National Committee in 1982. Uh, the governor of North Carolina at the time, James B. Hunt Jr., the honorables. I don't know if he's honorable. Is it honorable for a judge? I don't know. I think it can go anyway. I don't think honor should be restricted can, to legislation. Just sling it around. Just, just. <laughs> okay. This is the what? U.S., man. You can just say anything. People call themselves bishops all the time. What's another word that we could put in place for honorable that would be kind of silly? Esteemed, imminent. Ooh, the imminent. That's pretty good. All right. That e- means he'll e- be e- there. E- <laughs> e- <laughs> either way, either way, they're on the way or they're uh, distinguished. So in, in 1982, the imminent governor of North Carolina, James B. Hunt Jr., he, uh, he led this commission to create a new category of delegates, which would allow the Democratic Party leadership. We're talking members of Congress, mm-hmm. governors, other DNC officials within the party. Uh, allow these these people to have more power within the nominating process, so not just the popular vote. The plebs, as it were. Right. Uh, so originally he wanted this to make up 30% of the total delegate vote, these super delegates. Mm-hmm. But uh, after some bickering, some back and forth arena, uh they ended up reducing that so that the percentage was 14% for the convention in 1984. So this number has fluctuated uh, quite a bit over the years. It hovered around 20% for a time in the 90s there. But in 2016, this election cycle, it's floated back down to around 15%. This is the Democratic National Committee's superdelegates. Now, these superdelegates are, at least in theory, meant to be uncommitted to any one candidate. What they are supposed to do is uh, side with whichever candidate gets the most popular votes. Right. So, for instance, in this case, Noel Brown gets the majority of votes against his opponent. And give us an opponent from the office that people will recognize. Ooh. Jonathan Strickland. No. The rivalry has gone into politics, I see. So, Jonathan receives slightly fewer votes, but uh, what happens in practice would be, uh, although these superdelegates are required to vote for Noel Brown, being the, being the, uh, the clear winner of the percentage of popular votes, maybe they say, you know what though, I fully support Jonathan Strickland's sandwich policy and I'm going to vote my conscience because darn it, hot dog, it's not a sandwich. I don't want them sold in the same place. I don't want them next to each other on a plate. Cats and dogs sleeping together. America's downfall is named Noel Brown. So these superdelegates can still vote in a different, uh, in a different manner to which they are supposed to vote. And we have examples of this. So a particularly good example of this uh, came from CQ.com, an article that we found, um, and the example is Walter Mondale. So in 1984 in San Francisco, superdelegates, um, Furnished the difference in the fight between Walter Mondale and Gary Hart of Colorado, who's a senator from Colorado. Um, coming into the convention, Mondale was way ahead, clear lead in pledge delegates. But the two got roughly the same number of popular votes. And this is, you know, where the delegates are supposed to step in and you know, vote along with the popular vote. Uh, but when the primary ended in June, Mondale ended up with not quite enough of the delegates needed to get the nomination. Mm-hmm. So he made a series of phone calls 
to uncommitted superdelegates. And you can do this. These people, you know who these people are. You can yeah. actually reach out to these people, and that's kind of creepy to me. Mm-hmm. So Mondale actually made calls, direct calls, to the uncommitted superdelegates. And he was able to make that push over the cliff. He won just enough to get it done. So analysts um, now look at this as a great example, evidence, proof positive that superdelegates don't reverse the will of the people. They provide a margin, a winning margin. Ah, mm-hmm. However, uh, however, Gary Hart disagrees because he says that many of these superdelegates had already committed or pledged themselves to Mondale, and he says... What, do they have a dance card? Like, how, right. do you, how do you commit? Like, I don't understand It's that. like you said, man, you burn the sage, you walk around the circle three times. <laughs> Wittershins. Mm-hmm. No, uh, the, they have... They said they pledged to Mondale before this began. Like, what, no take-backs? Like, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we, we have and a And this is all here. just democratic stuff. This is just democratic right. stuff, but we have a, a pretty good quote here. Uh, this is from Hart. He says, Between June and July, my wife and I personally called all of the superdelegates. And over and over again, they would tell us, I'm sorry, I wish I could vote for you, but I pledged to Mondale back in January. And this happens, well, something like this happens with the Republican National Committee. Uh, you might say, are there superdelegates on that side? Yes, in fact, there are three for each state. They're the three official members of the National Party, uh, the state's National mm-hmm. Party, the state-level version. Uh, they account for maybe 7% of the total delegate count. So according to GOP.com and the RNC rules from 2015, these superdelegates have to vote for the candidate that their state chose. Yes, unless something crazy happens that we've been hearing a lot lately in the news. Like what? Which would be a brokered convention, or sometimes it's called a contested convention, which is slightly different, or an open convention. All three are slightly different, but the big one here is a brokered convention. Break it. Yeah, I'm, I'm Broker it down? Yeah. Oh. Now, this would be... Let's just go ahead and put it out there. Let's bring out the elephant in the room in response to the meteoric, shall we say, rise of a certain New York billionaire. That <laughs> that very well could be the I, reason. I like that you said elephant in the room. Skadoom-douche. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so what's yeah. the deal? It, I mean, it, you know, it seems to me that this he shall not be named, you know, has been doing a pretty fine job of getting the popular vote. Yes, so where's right. the, where, where does the contesting come in? So a brokered convention occurs when either side, either party, when the candidates don't reach a, a certain number of delegates, pledged delegates. Mm-hmm. So on the Republican side, they need 1,237 pledged delegates. On the Democratic side, they need 2,383 delegates. And if no one has that, as as Matt said, then the convention becomes brokered. And what that means is that those delegates who had the pledge, who had pledged to a different candidate are released from their obligation Up to vote. Up for grabs. Yeah, yeah. They're uh, single and ready to mingle, right? Has this happened in recent time? It's been a long time. I think the 50, I want to say it was in the 50s, 1954 maybe was the last major brokered convention. We're in an interesting time now where we're seeing clearly the establishment on the Republican side does not like Donald Trump because mm-hmm. he is sort of his own, you know, entity. He doesn't really play by their rules. And so 
I've been hearing all this talk of broker conventions, but yet he just seems to be doing absurdly well. So I just don't see how it's right. very likely that that would happen. Right. Yeah. A lot of individual voters are voting in a way that members of the Republican establishment or party don't agree with, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's a, there's a fracture within that, which, you know, these kind of fractures occur whenever you have a group of a lot of people pushing for uh, a decision where there can, you know, a Highlander thing where there can only be one. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is it doesn't seem like the point of a broker convention is, uh, in the event that the people choose a candidate the Republican establishment doesn't like. Yeah. <laughs> like that's not what it's designed for. It's not some sort of fail safe so that the Republican, you know, establishment can be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Right. Or the Democrats. Let's do a mulligan. Of course. Of yeah, course. You know, another situation. I just think it's interesting that we're seeing this well, play, there's play a, out before our very yeah. eyes. And there's a great quote from the Brookings Institution that, uh, that addresses the weakness in the system here. Quote, because the primaries get so much attention, people often forget that in the end, it is the delegates who award a presidential candidate the nomination. Not uh, Unquote there just for a moment. Not us, not the people. But here's the rub here, guys. Uh, these delegates, the these people who are representing the, the popular vote, they are only bound by their own political aspirations, right? So they're elected by people in their local area. Uh, and if, you know, let's say they choose to vote against the will of the people, there will probably be repercussions when they return home from Cleveland or wherever they are at the convention. So really they only have to think about how, how do I move forward politically if I decide to vote my way instead of uh, the people's way? Noel Brown says, vote for me and I will make you secretary of the interior. You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah. The weird thing is that it isn't outright illegal within the party rules to essentially bribe a delegate if there is a brokered convention mm-hmm. to to go out and convince like as a candidate yourself or as the you know the group of people representing the candidate go out and convince delegates once they've all been released that hey you should vote for me and here's why. And so I have a quick hypothetical question for you guys. Uh, let's say the three of us are delegates. We're at a brokered convention. We went there to support candidate A, but candidate B comes to us and says, hey, you should really vote for me and slides across an envelope on a table just like this. What has to be in that envelope for you to go against all of the people in your hometown? Real big number. How big are we talking? I don't know, man. I had to be in the situation, you know, I mean, I got you. But no, I'm just giving, I'm, I'm countering your hypothetical with my own hypothetical, you know. Touche. Yeah. Touche indeed. So go on. Well, I, I guess what I, what I mean is that if you are some, a, a delegate who's been elected, who knows what your job is, what you do, how much money you make. But if somebody comes to you and offers you, let's say it's a significant sum to switch your vote. I mean, I, I can see it being a pretty easy decision to say, Oh yeah, well, I guess that's, that's how I'll go. Or. To Ben's previous point, what if it was a, a pretty cushy, you know, cabinet position or something? Right. Like that? Ah, I think yeah. influence probably carries more than money. Agreed. But I, but to back back to the whole thing where the only repercussions for not voting correctly would mm-hmm. be political fallout. Right. So would you be shielded from that? I mean, ah. you know, like wouldn't you be considered a pariah at that point in well, the political system? Or do you burn those bridges because you're getting offered a line to somewhere else? But isn't it? Wouldn't it be super obvious, though? I don't know. Maybe. 
I, I think we need to go back. I need to go back and look at this stuff and see like historically if it's happened. Cause I don't know right now. It scares the hell out of me. Honestly, the whole system is very fraught with peril. If you ask right. me. Yeah. Opportunities for gaming. We also have some examples of alleged primary system shenanigans. So the proceedings of conventions follow what are called the Roberts rules of order. Uh, this complex set of formalities was created by a guy named Henry Martin Robert in a book published in 1876. If you have ever had uh, the immense uh, pleasure, the heart stopping edgier seat thrill of watching C-SPAN and what happened upon a congressional hearing, you've seen something like this before. So during the convention, the first vote is all about credentials. It uh, it establishes which group of people will be seated at the convention and therefore get to vote. Uh, so in the 1972 Democratic Convention, the anti-McGovern forces uh, mounted two famous credentials challenges. Had his opponents won these challenges, delegates who were not loyal to McGovern would have been seated and had the right to vote. As it happened, the anti-McGovern forces lost both challenges, and Senator George McGovern won the nomination. That's weird to think about, right? The <laughs> the vote of credentials, I don't know. To me, that's so strange and outdated, it, it seems. But maybe it still makes sense when you're inside the system. I don't know. Yeah, that's the thing about tradition, man. Uh, in some ways, there's a proportional relationship. Like the more irrelevant or outdated a tradition comes, the more people prize it. You yeah, know what I mean? I think that's right. And then their second vote will be about the rules under which the convention will operate. And this happens every time they have a convention. Both the DNC and RNC uh, prepare drafts of this. But just before the conventions, there's an internal conventions rules committee vote on the rules that gets sent to the convention. I know this is confusing. Dude, it's crazy. I know I'm saying the word convention like every third word in here, <laughs> but this convention rules committee, or I'll just call it the CRC, is generally controlled by forces loyal to various candidates. So in 1976, Ronald Reagan waged a rules fight in his attempt to deny President Gerald Ford the Republican nomination. And in 1980, Ted Kennedy did a similar thing when he wanted to deny President Jimmy Carter uh, the, you know, victory at the convention, both times those guys lost. But it's interesting to see how you can essentially use the rules, these vast, crazy rules that exist within these conventions, kind of bend them if you want to, or at least attempt to, to get your way and go around all of the election processes themselves. So what are the pros and cons of primaries? Well, it seems to me that, um, the winner ultimately in these reindeer games, mm-hmm. to borrow a quote from you and uh, a, a popular Christmas song. Um, oh, it's, I think there's also a film called Reindeer Games. That's true. Didn't really, I think, have much to do with reindeer. I think it just had took place in the snow or something. See, anyway, that's such uh, a rip. Okay. Yeah, anyway, yeah. The, the parties. The parties. It's all They're about the, the parties. Party all the time. Party <laughs> over here. Party over there. With a capital P, Put right? your hands in the air, you know? And there are only two large parties in the current, uh, in the current political climate of the U.S. Now, that's not to say other parties don't exist. There mm-hmm. are libertarian parties. There are green parties. There are socialist parties, right? But you're not going to see them really swinging, uh, really knocking anything out of the park, right? When it comes down to it, the odds are overwhelmingly likely that, uh, there will be a Democrat or a Republican in office. 
And we are in a pretty interesting time right now where we are seeing some pretty serious divisions within the two parties, some very serious um, kind of problems facing them in terms of, uh, you know, being considered um, legitimate, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. I mean, there, we're definitely far, far, far away from having another viable party, but there have been so many little mm. moments this this cycle within the Republican Party, for example, where they have this, what many would have called a fringe candidate, right. rising up in the ranks and basically wiping all of their other picks off of the map, just well, mopping the floor with yeah. them. Yeah, and a similar thing happened with Democratic Party, exactly. uh, because Sanders would be considered... I guess by it's difficult because he's been in government service for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. So he's not exactly an outsider. Yeah, but still, kind of a dark horse in terms of coming in right. in the final hour and just you know rising to the point uh, that honestly Obama did back when he ran against Clinton the first time, you know. And he is, I just can't imagine the way the Clinton campaign was looking at that as like not again, you know. And I mean the way it looks now, it looks like that's not going to happen, but. There was a whole lot of um, contention within the Democratic Party where the chairman, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who had been involved with the Clinton campaign, mm-hmm. looked to be showing some favoritism towards Clinton over Sanders. And there you know, was the whole lawsuit where they um, had deprived the Sanders campaign of their voter uh, records or like their you know, right. the data that was mm-hmm. you know, rightfully theirs. And Sanders actually had to sue the, the DNC and then they ultimately got them back. But I just think it's interesting – it almost seems like this system is starting to fail these parties, and we're sort of seeing the result the of years, the, the cracks scenes. in the scene. Mm-hmm. Exactly, we're sort of starting to see the gradual breakdown of the system. And what's what's the alternative? What do you do? You know? uh, the alternative uh, is, you know, maybe we have more than two giant parties that control who, who becomes who, who president. Who decides that? Is it is it, is it the people? You know, do that's we- a great question. And unfortunately, Noel, I think that might be a story for another day. But if you plan to run for president, listeners, uh, write to us and let us know your policies, right? Uh, yeah. let us know what your, uh, what, let us, you know what? I keep pushing this, but this is for me, I'm all about the issues. You know what I mean? You guys oh, yeah. know me. I'm yeah. Prince, I'm all about the issues. Uh, and the sandwich thing is, is, is really important to me. Which is why I'm casting a vote for Noel, the Madman Brown. Yeah, well, I, I say that a euro is a sandwich. That's my position. <gasps> yeah, there are some who would who would oppose me. <laughs> they will be crushed. They will be crushed. Right, and, and we're uh, aside from the the crushing that is imminent and imminent uh, today. Uh, we are ending on a question after looking at the primaries, the opportunities for skullduggery and shenanigans here. Uh, do you think that they are a better system than direct voting without party affiliation? Right. Are these here to, uh, are, are they here to organize and focus and direct a consensus or are they there to simply stabilize the existence of an establishment that primaries were originally created to destroy? I think that's a, it's a long question and I apologize for the run, run on, but it's a question worth asking and we would like to hear from you. To illustrate this point, of course, that means it's time for shout out corners. 
Our first shout-out goes to Hammer from Austin. What an epic name. Uh, he said, in reference to the Jin episode, Noel, you misquoted a line from Aladdin. What a jerk. They cut off your ear if they don't like your face, and Noel said, hand, which got me thinking about censorship and Disney, who definitely have their skeletons in the closet. Would you guys consider doing a Disney episode? There's a Snopes page a mile long for Disney, and a lot of that <laughs> stuff <laughs> is true. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, man, we should do it. That'd be No fun. one dies on Disney property, right? Not officially. Yeah. Uh, and number We two, should bring in Holly Fry. Yeah, we should. Yeah. Holly Fry from our pure podcast stuff you missed in history class. She is quite the Disney aficionado. I think we, I think we're all in agreement where we're going to do and this. And Jonathan, yeah. we should have both of them in, dude. Maybe we could just have them do an episode yes. of the show. <laughs> yes. We'll take a vacay. We can go to Dave and Buster's. <gasps> uh, all right. So number two, Sith psychopath, uh, at, our Nick Baker writes in and says, really enjoyed the Jin episode. I'd wish for the sweet release of death and see what happens. That would be his wish. Interesting wish. And we had a lot of, a lot, you know, I want to take a second to and thank everybody who checked out the Jin episode on YouTube and on here on the audio podcast, however you're listening to it, because no, Matt, as you guys know, I was, I was a little bit apprehensive and Oh, maybe had an overly long disclaimer on it. Well, you know, I mean, just a little peek behind the curtain. When we do these episodes, we all listen to them. We go through and decide if there's anything we want to say differently or, or cut mm-hmm. out. We don't usually do much, but Ben mm-hmm. was pretty concerned about this one and wanted us to listen with, with extra, you know, sensitive ears. And ultimately nothing came out. And I think it's fine. I think it was a great episode. Well, yeah, it's because whenever we do a topic that touches on religion, of course, uh, we want to do so in a respectful way. Your beliefs are your own. Uh, and it is not our job to tell you what to believe. It's really not anyone's job to tell you what to believe, in my opinion. But, you know, again, maybe that's just my belief. So it was Unless really, you're like a pastor, then it's kind of your job to tell people what to believe. I guess so. That's, no, there are a lot hurting. of, you're hurting your flock. There are a lot of reasons why I can't be a pastor. <laughs> but, but, uh, I want to thank everybody who on YouTube, on Twitter, in the email, on the Facebook, who wrote to us because we were surprised by, uh, by like the supportive nature of it, mm-hmm. you know? And we really appreciate that because this is your show as much as it is ours. Thanks for writing, Sith Psychopath. Finally, we have one from Eric M. from Facebook. You guys should make an episode on Prince's death. Mm. A lot of people think he was killed for talking about chemtrails, FEMA camps, etc. This came up on the Facebook Live we did yesterday. Um, And that's one thing. I know that he definitely spoke about those issues, um, as has Tim Robbins lately. I saw somebody else famous in the press uh, that was was talking about those issues. I'll have to look into it. Maybe I'm wrong about Tim Robbins. But um, there was another uh, Prince-related conspiracy theory that came up um, right before he passed his decades-long battle with Warner Brothers over ownership of his back catalog Mm -hmm. finally was resolved. Uh, And a lot of reissues are in the works. And Mm -hmm. I don't know what you guys think, but a lot of times when uh, famous singers die and then they have a big back catalog, that means... A lot of money, you know. We just saw this with Bowie's records. Yeah, he got his first number one, Bowie did. And, you know, Prince, uh, he's got two number one songs on the billboards right now, Purple Mm -hmm. Rain, and um, I can't remember what the other one is, but saying a lot of money to be made. So Mm -hmm. interesting that people would 
correlate those two, but I can see why. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's probably worthy of an episode. We did do a celebrity death conspiracies episode mm-hmm. a while back, mm-hmm. which is a lot of fun. Um, that's one of my favorites because I'm uh, particularly into you know lore surrounding musicians. You got and, a musical soul. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, actually, you know, I'm kind of conflating. We did one on on music and the occult. Yes. Which there's a lot of connections there mm-hmm. too. So I think I, I would say listen to those two together. They're a lot of fun. I, I love the story you told about Bowie and the witch. Yeah. The white witch, the white witch, uh, do check that one out. If you haven't had a chance yet, uh, thanks for writing. Do you want a shout out? If so, take a page from, uh, take a page from your fellow listeners and drop us a line on Facebook, Twitter, or our email, uh, and this concludes. So really fast side note, guys, before we. So really fast side note before we get out of here, guys. Noel, I wanted to bring something up with you. Shoot. Uh, if you don't mind, just a quick note here. Do you remember something you talked about in the Panama Papers episode? Something about an address in Delaware? Why do you mean 1209 North Orange Street, Wilmington, Delaware? Yes, precisely. It's the thing you mentioned was the the official address for over 285,000 companies. Well, we've got some news. Uh, it's the address of Walmart, Coca-Cola, Apple. Those are just a few examples of these Fortune 500 companies. Every that are credit there. card bill I've ever paid. <laughs> yes. Well, according to The Guardian, a story that just came out, it's also home to companies that were started by two of the current presidential hopeful candidates, uh, both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Apparently, uh, Trump has several companies registered there, including Trump International Management Corp. And in 2013, right after Clinton uh, left the office of Secretary of State, she set up ZFS Holdings, LLC. And according to a spokesman for the Clinton campaign, it was set up when uh, it was set up to manage her book and speaking income. You know, the controversies we've been hearing so much about uh, all the money Hillary Clinton was paid by for going and speaking uh, for the financial sector. Well, apparently that's where it went. Uh, the spokesman said no federal, state or local taxes were saved by the Clintons as a result of this structure. I just thought it was interesting to have those two episodes kind of smashed together right here. Uh, any thoughts? Did you know that Delaware has no sales tax? Absolutely zero. Zero. Huh. Yeah, one of five states. I, mean, I, I bring that up because I've been trying to figure out what the deal is, why it's so so attractive as a tax haven within our country. And I know that's one reason, um, but there are others. And so there has to be more reasons. Apparently, the state has an 8.7 flat corporate income tax. Which wow. is, maybe that's a big deal. Um, but, you know, according to this uh, DailyFinance.com article I'm looking at, that actually leads to the fourth highest tax collection in the country. And so combined with personal income tax, that is what allows Delaware to charge no sales tax. Do you do you want to do a Delaware episode, Noel? A little bit. Okay. I think we should just do one on that place. All right. And uh, to do that, we are going to head out for today. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to learn more about superdelegates and political primaries, then check with our buddy Josh Clark. He wrote some nifty articles about that on the website, HowStuffWorks.com. You can also visit the official Republican convention website as well as the Democratic convention website and get your news right from the source. Uh, Do be aware, of course, that it's going to be a little slanted. 
A little bit. Right. And in the meantime, of course, if you have suggestions for upcoming topics, if you have a response to this, if you have an answer to the question, do primaries help more than they harm, then uh, write to Matt, Noel, and I directly. You can hit us up on Facebook. Hit us up on Twitter. We're Conspiracy Stuff at both of those. And what do you do if you have something that just don't – it's too dense for 140 characters. It's too real for a Facebook post. You could compose an electronic message and point it to the address. Conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.